Hi, this is James Joachim, host of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews. Today we're dancing with the politically correct, so sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. One of those weird things people don't keep in mind when it comes to writing is that comics are really powerful. That is, it's become so ingrained in our thought processes that comics are for kids that we tend to ignore all the power that comics have. <laughs> you know, it's worth knowing that if Captain America had not punched Hitler, we probably would have not gotten into World War II uh, fighting Germany. We would have, you know, wiped out Japan pretty quickly. Mainly because we would have focused in on them, and Europe would be in an entirely different situation than it is today. But, as we start looking at history, we start noticing that there's a lot of interesting situations that, between politics and comics. Wonder Woman, there's no question that she's a feminist icon. In fact, DC even got into a major bit of trouble back in the 70s when they decided to depower her. And, of course, Gloria Steinem made her catapult her into an entirely different level of fame when she basically made her the symbol, the symbol of the feminist movement. Um, back in the 60s, all sorts of weirdness happened when it came to comics and politics. You know, we had Black Panther, the character, show up before the Black Panther's the party. Um, we had the counterculture revolution go on, thanks a lot, a lot of part due to comics, believe it or not. And even though we're looking at comics with an X, C-O-M-I-X, the underground comics, those comics had a lot of really great power. The Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers actually pretty much defined the hippie generation and were able to use them in order to spread the hippie philosophy, such as it was. Uh, when you came up with R. Crumb, yeah, the guy's one heck of a misanthrope, but his comics, especially with Mr. Natural, the Keep on Trugging logo, so on and so forth, happened to define a particular segment of the comics population that needed to be done in terms of counterculture. All told, up until about the 60s and 70s, you had a lot of really great stuff going on. Heck, you even had the X-Men show up at the tail end of it. And yeah, keep in mind, originally when the X-Men showed up, they were just simply a different way of doing an origin. It wasn't until Chris Claremont took over in 1970 that the X-Men really started becoming civil rights heroes. This, of course, would go on later on. Um, when we start looking at the 1980s, not only did we have the independent movie movement, you know, the Archer, but... We also had a lot of people in dealing with comics that were starting to tackle some really tough statements. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons there was Marvel and DC decided to start up with their various independently owned imprints. Basically, Epic and uh, Vertigo, respectively. At that point, you could actually have an independent somebody who's, well, somebody with independent credit at any rate, come in and have a lot of fun with the characters, and it wouldn't have anything to do with the main storylines. This allowed for some really great experimentation. But, you also had a lot of stuff in the 80s where you all of a sudden had a lot of really great diversification in terms of concepts and characters. You actually had a lot of really great gay characters as well as bisexual. Um, and when you start looking at the indies, all 
They were just messing around with pretty much everything political they could get their hands on. This made some incredible great writing. When we start looking at the 90s, things start getting interesting. I'm going to point out real quick that when Twilight 2000, or sorry, RPG reference, um, when 2000 AD, the British comic company came in, they were starting to have a lot of fun with making going after the military as well as the police, uh, Rogue Trooper and um, Judge Dredd, respectively. And it's worth noting that through this, we also had a lot, and this is, you're going to love this thought, but just think of how much critical thinking was taught through Mad Magazine. Admittedly, it's been around since the 1950s, but it really started hitting its stride in the 1980s when it just simply decided to go after and parody your satire pretty much everything. I mean, it pretty much always has, but once you had that parody and satire situation into the mix, you also had Howard the Duck, you also had Ambush Bug, uh, you had eventually you'd get Deadpool, you'd basically have all these people starting to make fun of the authority figures. And again, you pretty much always had that, but now you actually had that put into a situation where the mainstream could actually start dealing with it. And because of that, you actually had people doing what I guess you'd consider the first step to critical thinking, which is questioning authority. Yeah, you had that all the way back to the 60s, but now all of a sudden in the 80s, all of a sudden it became pretty much just part of what everybody did. I mean, just look at all the really incredibly great sh movies and TV shows that went from basically being, you know, independents and went back and all of a sudden were put into the spotlight because specifically they went at authority figures. The movie Greed is probably the best example of this. In the 1990s, you started seeing political correctness drop worry about being in the shadows and actually start being, coming into the forefront. Um, Gail Simone is probably the best example of this with her Women in Refrigerators movement, which is arguably one of the best things that ever happened to comics. Yeah, I know there's a lot of other cool stuff that was happened, but look at it from a writer's perspective. The entire problem with Women in Refrigerators is that basically you had women that were being relegated to secondary roles just because of what they were. That is, because they were women, they were being relegated to role of the girlfriend. And because of that, they were being killed off because they were the only disposable part of the story. This, of course, would put the character, main character into a major spiral of, you know, the five stages of grief. That would end up with him kicking the butt of the, whoever killed the, his girlfriend. Well... Women in Refrigerators decided to reverse all that and actually started basically saying, screw it. We're powerful women in our own right. We're going to defend ourselves. And while you had had a lot of really powerful women prior to that, uh, Wonder Woman being the obvious example, Supergirl, um, a lot of the Avengers and X-Men women, you know, at this stage of the game, you actually had somebody, a writer actually say, screw it we're not going to really rely on the old, you know, killing off the girlfriend to raise the stakes type of thing anymore. And I know that sounds like it's a, something that might have happened before, but it just hit prominence at that point. 
in essence, you had a lot of really cool stuff happening because of the mix of comics and politics. And as things would progress, well, somewhere along the line, we'd sort of hit a really weird area. That is, we stopped looking at what characters, who characters were and what characters were. Because comics were trying to point out how diverse they were and how much they were looking to make sure that the cast were diversified, they started bringing out characters specifically because of what they were. And suffice to say, this was a major problem. And it's a problem we're still dealing with to a certain degree. Um, and Millie has turned into legacy characters and that sort. But in general, we're starting to hit some really bumpy ground when it comes to the politically correct aspects of the politics. Arg. Sorry. Expect to see a lot of hedging from this point on. The reason I'm calling this podcast Dancing With is because I think that there's a lot of really cool things that goes on with the politically correct concepts. The problem is that in a lot of cases they're taking way too far. And when you start taking some of this stuff way too far, you start going from something that's really cool to something that's essentially toxic. And when you start hitting toxic elements in your stories, here's the problem. Let's compare Batwoman versus Iceman. In, in a situation, we have a definite division between who they are, that is, a really brave hero, hero who's solving major problems, versus what they are, that is, the homosexual aspects of their character. Well, DC has actually balanced Batwoman pretty well. That is, she's just a really well-worked character. And I'm going to love saying that, right? Basically, she, even though she might occasionally get into situations be, that deal with homophobia, as well as people that are going, they're targeting lesbians and you know other minorities specifically, she tends to deal with the situations as the hero, and even though she does take the stuff personally, it still gets solved as from the hero perspective. Admittedly, we as the audience and she as the character obviously have a little bit more fun. But, because there is a personal aspect to it, but let's get real, if that was emphasized in every story, it would get boring. You know, we don't mind seeing her go out with, on a date with another woman, that's fine. That's what she is. Cool. Let her do that. We want to see the hero. With Bobby Drake, now that he's been outed as a gay hero we're hitting a really weird situation that people are emphasizing what he is and having way too much fun with that. The problem you're obviously having is that, well, yeah, it's problem. The last miniseries he was in, there was a problem that you had this really great hero normally, all of a sudden, be interested in this romance that had absolutely literally nothing to do with the main plot. It was not only removed by time and distance, but that romance had no real bearing on what was going on in the present. You know, we were keeping what he was, the gay aspects of him, were being kept separate from the hero parts of him. So even though he was having to deal with Mr. Sinister at a gay parade in a theater, yeah, can we really knock up 
how many gay stereotypes can we really throw into one story into one story the bottom line is is that who he was and what he was were being kept separate and while that's fine to a degree it's just uh, sorry the problem is is that you had this really bizarre situation where you were trying to emphasize that Bobby Drake was a gay hero while at the same time not really having fun with mixing in the gay aspects into his actual storyline. That was being kept visibly different. And while I sort of get that's not a bad thing because obviously I'm trying to emphasize that you need to keep who and what are separate, that was just taking it to one heck of an extreme. You literally had, here I'm being a hero, here I'm being a gay man, and it's just, you don't do it that way. You need to always keep in mind that the character is a gay hero. It's just that the hero has to take precedence over the gay part. They can't be separate, they, they can be joined in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm being clear as mud. Here's the deal. When I'm looking at Batwoman, I'm looking at somebody who, even though she's always a lesbian superheroine, she tends to solve things and deal with things in terms of being a hero first and a lesbian second. Yeah, occasionally you get those situations where there's some definite crossover, like if she's going up against a homophobic villain, and in which case she's definitely going to take that personally, and that's fine. We fully expect people to take personal villains personally. At the same time, however, we're not separating Batwoman the lesbian versus Batman or Batwoman the hero. That is, they're always the same person. Even though they might react to different situations differently, we're always keeping in mind that Batwoman is a lesbian, and that's fine. With Bobby Drake, however, we're having situations where he's should be always dealing with it as a hero. But, you know, if you're at a gay pride parade and you're a gay character, you should be taking whatever that's going on personally just because it's at a gay pride. You shouldn't be interfering with people's right to express who they are. Problem is, is that Bobby Drake didn't get mad because they were being attacked at the gay pride parade. He was getting mad because it was a straight villain. This is one of those situations where we should have seen the homosexuality and the hero combined into the same situation. Because we weren't, the story basically died horribly on the table. This is opposed to with Batwoman, where we've seen her deal with characters that go after lesbians, and she does pretty well at it. She takes it personally exactly as she should, but she still basically ends up dealing with the situation. As opposed to Bobby Drake, who felt miserably in that particular area. The key here is that the writers are basically trying to trot out that we've got this really great gay hero, putting a banner on the guy, and that's it. They're not actually having fun with the actual character. And that's a problem. Yeah, I know, pretty much clear as mud. But 
it's just we're seeing a lot of that weirdness along with stories become more politically correct. And I mean, sometimes we need to see that political correctness in the story because it makes some interesting, valid points. Uh, another good example is, I hope it'll be a good example at any rate, is when we start looking at the military in terms of story arcs. There are two ways to do a story. If we're dealing with an ultra-conservative, nine times out of ten, the military will be looked at as basically heroes. And don't get me wrong, a lot of those military have earned that right. Um, they've been through some hellacious stuff that the rest of us will never be through. And we need to respect that. But at the same time, we don't need to get all jingoistic about it. You know, point out that they're heroes, fine. Point out, you know, but at the same time, get to the point where we're doing a slavish devotion to it, that's an issue. At that point, it's just, yeah, that's ridiculous. That's sort of the reason that I like stuff like the G.I. Joe. You still had the Joes were basically being treated as heroes, but at the same time, you did see the fact that every so often it would pop up that you would have somebody that would dislike them for being military. It mainly nine times out of ten, they changed their mind, but at the same time, the Joes would respect that person's perspective. That, that was cool. On the flip side, you, like I said, you don't want to get too crazy with it. But, on the flip side, you'd have a situation where you'd have a comic or a webcomic come off as pointing out that the military is pure evil. The military, when it comes down to it, should be seen as a necessary evil. That is, we need some sort of line of defense. And yeah, I know there's going to be country, entire countries of people that disagree with me. But... There are also countries that don't have to worry about being taken over anytime soon. Or they're pretty well defended by other people's armies. Yeah, I'm being a jerk. Um, but, what I'm sort of looking at here is that the military does not necessarily be, need to be seen as more than an absolute evil. That is, we need a military in order to defend a large area. And once we start hitting the point where the military is pure evil we start hitting some interesting questions. I've seen comics that have actually eliminated the military altogether and put a group of guardians in their place. And the fun part is that these guardians did the whole really nice we would never ever take over your country type of deal. Let's get real, that's ridiculous. Once you have a situation where you have a group of people that are much more powerful than everybody else, they're going to find a way to use and abuse their power. There needs to be some sort of balance in there. In the U.S., we have a whole lot of balances that are put there in place that sort of make sure that the military is nothing more and nothing less than an absolute evil. And even the military recognizes that they're, a that they're an absolute evil. Or, sorry, that they're a necessary evil. Um, what I'm sort of looking at is that when you start looking at characters that are basically only there because they've got to worry about, um, let's call it the Velociraptor weakness. You know, they've got to go in for occasional recharges or they have to have a certain food every so often or they basically will lose their power. Reality is, 
Just like Malcolm said, life will find a way. And if you don't allow for that as a writer, yeah, eventually those guardians are going to basically start taking over the rest of the situation. They're going to find a way to overcome that weakness. Trust me, you give a regular human a particular weakness, they will find a way to overcome that weakness eventually. That's not a question. So when you basically start hitting the point where you start bringing in situations where you know, you've gotten rid of the military and you've got down to a group of guardians, yeah, eventually those guardians are going to take over the country. That should be seen as an inevitability. Except that when you start dealing with these particular stories, you see a situation where they don't. It never even occurs to them. And there's just something fundamentally wrong with that. Straight up. If you have a situation where you've, you know, you can basically go through an entire army by yourself. Oh, wait, there's no army, so I don't have to worry about that. Oh, yeah, why can't I just walk up and take over the capital city and spread out from there? You know? That's going to occur to somebody at some point, And how to deal with their weakness is definitely going to occur to them at some point as well. I don't care how how really well balanced you put it in there, eventually something weird is going to happen. So, and it gets worse when we start looking at police forces. Again, even the police will recognize that they are a necessary evil. The problem is that you will always have people that will try to impinge on the rights of others. Unfortunately, you have these really great politically correct situations where, again, you've got all these people who are getting along fine. You don't really have a whole lot of conflicts, or if you do, they're easily solved. Yeah, the uh, problem is that people don't like sitcom solutions. You know, problem develops, you solve it within 30 minutes. That's all sorts of boring. Reality is, is we know that a group of people, once they get past a certain point requires some sort of police force. You know, you're going to have people who get mad at other people and try to kill them. You're going to have people that see what other people have and try to take that away from them. I don't care how incredibly great resourceful the situation is, just look at Star Trek. Once you bring in the holodecks and the replicators, you take care of a lot of the greed issues, right? So why is there so much greed in Star Trek? I mean, if there wasn't greed, you wouldn't have the Ferengi. You wouldn't have the Cardassians trying to take over other star systems because they can. You know, so, and you definitely wouldn't have the Maquis that are trying to defeat the, uh, act as a uh, resistance against the Cardassians if the Cardassians weren't doing something evil. It's just, you can't have politically correct utopias in comics and expect them to work. It's just it's never going to work out that way. On top of that, you've got a lot of politically correct starting to add in the concept of cultural appropriation. The reality is is that it again is you've got a really weird situation here because here's going to take about three steps back and point out that you're always going to have cultures are going to be stealing from each other. 
It's just part of being human. We see somebody else having some fun with something. We're going to try to figure out how we can have the same amount of fun doing the same thing. This is how cultures get spread. The problem you have is that you've got a lot of people that are starting to realize that we need to have a little bit of a separation between cultures in order for the situation to work out well. Unfortunately, these usually don't work out as well as they think they will. Here's the deal. Back in the 40s and 50s, you'd have people, you'd have white men go into black tribes and take over the situation. And yeah, this has been going on for a lot longer than the 40s and 50s, but I'm highlighting it because you had a lot of superheroes all of a sudden start doing it. Yeah, anybody brings up Tarzan, I'm letting you know I'm acknowledging that right now. And of course, all the rest of those. But I'm looking more at your Congo Bill who turned into Congorilla types. That is, white guys who would basically figure out how a particular aspect of a so-called native tribe would work and then would take on those abilities themselves and would use those to fight crime other places. You, if I say because of this, you got a lot of weird situations. Uh, the panther, the, man, the ghost who walks among men, for example. Um... You just got way too many situations where basically you had the white guys were appropriating black culture or, other, or Native American culture or whatever for themselves. And when we start looking at Danny Rand types, yeah, Danny Rand was like a minor league here. So, you know, the great and powerful Iron Fist, in case you're curious who I'm talking about. Um, in that case, yeah, we're looking at cultural appropriation. There definitely was a line being crossed that shouldn't be crossed. At the same time, however, over time, we're going to have a situation where there is going to be a natural crossing of that line. Even if we decide to have a black character who has... Okay, we're going to have some, a lot of lines crossed because... Once you start having a situation where they're basically deriving the power from their primitive society, yeah, there's no way that's not going to come across as racist. But let's say you basically have somebody from a Maasai tribe come into, you know, New York, get, get a modern refitting of all his weapons and shields and all that. Well, Eventually, you're going to have a situation within the world where a lot of people are going to see a lot of what this character is doing is cool and they're going to try to copy it themselves or go for European equivalents. And so what you're going to have is that really weird situation where Messiah Warrior versus Knight in Full Armor. Yeah, that, it just... Ugh. The situation in and of itself is going to be racist because you have black versus white, specifically because black versus white. Remember that who versus what situation? Yeah. You can't have a what versus what if they naturally oppose each other without it coming off as at least weird, if not outright racist. It's going to sound cool. And we had a lot of this in the 40s and 50s, and we basically decided that, yeah, this pretty much sucks. So, 
that's been a major change. On the flip side, you so you know, eventually you're also going to have a lot of people who basically see the Messiah culture and are going to look at it and start going, "Hey, these have got some really cool things, and we're going to start adapting those." And so you're going to see a lot of people who aren't Messiah start appropriating that culture into what they do. That should be seen as perfectly natural. You've got this guy who's a major hero, who's got a major successful way of dealing with stuff, so naturally people are going to try to copy the same concepts. Except, of course, it doesn't quite work that way. It just is, it, by, you're going to have people who are going to see this as racist. And to a small certain degree, it definitely is. Again, you can't have a situation where you're going to have somebody doing some really cool stuff without other people trying to do the really cool stuff as well. They're not doing it because they're inherently racist. They're doing it because you've got a really great way of doing stuff that's really successful and we want that same success. At that point, it starts questioning if it really is cultural appropriation as it is mimicking your particular strategies on dealing with stuff. So, when you're starting to deal with comics, you need to realize that there is a point where there is some cultural appropriation possible, but at the same time, over time, it's going to stop being cultural appropriation and just simply being a, copying somebody's successful strategies. Or if somebody looks really cool doing it, yeah, that's definitely not exactly going to stop other people from trying to do it. Let's get real. Everybody likes Capoeira because there's some really cool stuff going on there. There's the flips, there's the dives, there's the kicks. There's the fact that you can be totally tied up and still be an effective fighter. In fact, that's exactly where Capoeira came from. Was that you basically had all these people that were South American slaves that were tied up and they needed a way of defending themselves while their hands were, well, tied up. And the legs pretty much weren't. So he developed capoeira. Very effective fighting style. And eventually, you know, we're copying it all over the place. Question is, to what degree is that cultural appropriation at this particular stage? Because, like I said, you've hit the point where it's a successful strategy. So, when you start dealing, when you start complaining about cultural appropriation... Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's not so much. It just there's got there is an actual line there. Something to watch out for when you're doing characters. Slightly related in a really weird sort of way is the concept that we can only have certain people doing certain characters with certain backgrounds that happen to match the writer's original background. Does that make any sense? Oh, actually, no, it doesn't. What this basically means is that if you happen to be a black woman with a pagan background, you should only be writing characters with that are also black women with a pagan background. The entire concept is that once you start going into other people's backyards, so to speak, they just... The problem is a lot of people think that you should only be writing what you know, literally. The problem with this is that when it comes to, shall we say, race relations, is that when you start dealing with a particular, and more importantly, when you start dealing with a particular comic, is that with that particular comic, you can only have 
a few people related on that comic. You're not going to have the entire diversity of mankind. Except that you're going to want to have the diversity of mankind in your comic, at least to some degree. Well, if you're limited to writing only the people that happen to match your background, it's going to get really monochromatic really quick and get really boring because everybody has the exact same situation going on. This is something that needs to be dealt with. And I'm going to be say straight up, it's not going to work. You can't do... Uh, you know, have a call to diversity while at the same time telling people they can only use characters of X background. That's not how diversity works, okay? Straight up. If you want to have a situation where you have every... It's just... Yeah, it just isn't going to work, period. We know this from real life because even it was tried back in the 1990s in, on television shows. We had a situation where you were only supposed to be allowed... We actually had organizations were threatening boycotting other people because those people would have actors of particular skin colors in front of the camera but not have those skin colors represented in the writer's bullpen. Well, reality is you can only go so far with that. Yeah, it's great to have people of diverse characters in your writer's bullpen... If you have, but once you start hitting every possible diversity, every type of skin color, sex, gender, creed, whatever, you're going to have to have a ridiculously huge writer's bullpen, or you're going to have to basically say, screw it. I'm going to allow you to write anybody you want, regardless, and just have fun with it. Just don't be stupid about it. And by stupid, I mean, just don't have too many villains that are of the wrong of the wrong skin color. You know, you want your villains to be just as diverse as your bad guys, who are just as diverse as your supporting cast. You basically want to try to avoid the whole, I don't know, black hero, white villain, Asian cat uh, supporting cast. Why? At that point, you've got some definite racism going on. You basically have decided that one skin color can be heroic, the other one has to be villain, and the third, who cares? You want to, you definitely want to uh, have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah, this would have worked in the 50s and 60s. But you actually saw a lot in the 50s and 60s. But at some point in time, we need to shake things up a little bit. You want to have a lot of fun with the situation? All of your care, you have to have equal diversity in all of your various groups in your comic. I don't care what the situation is. Break it up. Have some fun with it. And heck, because it's comics, don't forget we can have all sorts of skin colors. We can have purple. We're not limited to browns, tans, and beiges. We can have purple. Heck, we want to have green. Go for it. Just realize that you can't do the whole breakdown by race in terms of type thing. It just doesn't work now. 
And just to round out the situation, let's realize that you can break into comics. This isn't... You've got this really interesting perception issue going on. Because you've got the big companies that are basically predominantly white, you've got the problem that a lot of people who aren't white and aren't male aren't really even trying. This makes a certain degree because a lot of people really hate breaking glass ceilings. Yeah, it sounds great and it can be fun, but you have people who simply don't want to be the first or be part of a minority in a particular situation. Perfectly understandable. However, this has created an interesting problem. That is, because we're starting to see a lot of people that, or sorry, a lot of organizations where the top people are just simply white, where basically a lot of people have a perception that other people can't break in. The reality is, is that, and of course, that because you don't see a lot of people breaking in, well, it sort of reinforces the concept that they have to be white. And therefore, a lot of these people are, especially women and blacks, are to go the independent route. That's fine if you want to go independent. Don't get me wrong, nobody wants to be part of the corporate culture. However, the problem you're having is that, well, this is just a perception. The reality is, is that Marvel and DC want a lot to have diverse writers. The more diverse the writers are, the more voices are at the table, and the more perspectives that they can basically portray in their comics. This goes back to that whole, you can only have people that are background as you. Yeah, like I said, it doesn't work, and this is part of the reason it doesn't. Straight up, if you want to work Marvel or DC or Image or IDW or whatever, go at it just like everybody else. Create a portfolio, build it up, have some fun with it. Heaven forbid where you don't want to have the same stuff everybody else does. Have some great candid shots as well as have some great action shots. You know, have characters doing stuff just in real life. I mean, let's get real. How many fun time? How many really great pictures are just heroes doing weird stuff like going swimming, cooking dinner? Relaxing in the couch watching TV. You know, the fun stuff. Anybody can basically have a laser cannon pointed at another character shooting and trying to cause damage. Cool. You want some of those shots in your portfolio? Definitely. But you also want to have a lot of fun with that as well. You want Starfire lounging on a couch in front of a TV. Okay, let's get real. A lot of people want to see that anyway. But... You know, have some fun with your portfolio. Submit it. Definitely submit it. You get turned down, figure out what you did wrong, correct for it, submit it again. Don't be caught into the really nasty feedback loop of, I don't see people that look like me there. I don't belong there. Screw that. Charge in. Do what you do. And just simply be who you are. Straight up, you're a writer or you're an artist of some type. You should not, part of your strings comes from being who you are, not from being who people think you are. So, you know, submit to these big companies and have some fun doing it. Don't do crazy stuff like, I don't know, it, you have like nothing but cat pictures. And if you're a writer, 
submit a script that's based on the actual characters. Even if it's never going to be used, at least you're showing that you can actually show, maintain the characterization of those characters. Same with the artist. And yeah, you can do a lot of great characterization through straight, you know, uh, illustration. Just look at all the weird stuff that turns up in parody and satire stuff. And have some serious fun with it for a change. So, on the ground, I probably have ticked off pretty much everybody at this point. The solution to the political correct situation is obviously we're going to need to accede to some of their demands. This is not necessarily a bad thing. Like I pointed out right off the bat, you know, diversity is a great thing in terms of having in terms of corporate structure. The more voices you have at the table, the better. However, let's get real, none of us are going to be CEO of Marvel Comics anytime soon. And if you are, well, let's talk because I'd really like to work for you. But, the things we can do in terms of getting better at this are pretty basic. First off, try to work at having a lot of diverse characters in terms of your own personal writing. You know, if possible, don't get stuck in that you have to define every aspect of the character. You know, if I just want a lean, mean character, I'll just simply, I can get away with saying a lean character. I don't have to give a physical description of every possible aspect. This, of course, opens up that character to interpretate a more interpretation by the artist. Meaning that, especially if the artist has been clued into the situation, you're going to have a lot of really great diversity when you start combining what you as a writer want versus what they as a write artist want. And it's going to be all sorts of fun. Um, do you try to have characters have more diverse backgrounds? There's a thousand and one religions out, out there. Well, okay, a zillion and one. Everybody pretty much has their own religion. Take advantage of that. Have some fun with it. Throw some characters into the diverse. Keep in mind that just because you don't have to have somebody who's stuck on a particular spectrum at the far end of the spectrum. You know? You don't have to have all your characters divided into gay or straight. That's boring. You want a couple of bisexuals, you want a couple of asexuals in. Hey, let's just throw in some pansexuals just to be different. You know? Have some fun with it. Ignore the whole concept of... Uh, Spectrum. Just to find characters that work for your particular... You don't have to say this character is gay or straight right off the bat. You can have that character work into it as time happens. Um, when you do portray people that are backgrounds not of yours, make sure that those are honest portrayals. In other words, if you're going to have a rapper have some actual fun. You keep in mind you can go all the way from Chance the Rapper to, you know, Biggie Smalls. You can have some serious fun with the concept. You don't have to have every black character be a thug. That's boring. You know, you're going to... And I know how that sounds, but I'm like, screw it. One of the things that really irritated me about the Milestone comics, and I'll be straight up, is you had pretty much everybody speaking the same way, and it happened to be street. Straight up, you had a character by the name of Spiral, white kid, 
thin, glasses, talking like a rapper with 30 years experience. Disconcerting? Definitely. But you had him speaking the exact same patois everybody in the comic was speaking. Part of that's that part of that's that dreaded diversity thing. You know, the more different your characters are from each other, the more easily they're going to stand out. And you want your characters to stand out as much as absolutely possible. With that in mind, you know, like I said, not every character, you know, just like every white guy doesn't have to be a cowboy. Not every woman has to be a housewife. You know? Not everybody has to be a stereotype based on their particular gender, race, whatever. Have some fun with it. Break things up a little bit. If you happen to offend somebody, so much the bloody better. Have a white rapper. But, the key here is, and that of course brings us up to the don't worry about offending people. Because yeah, you're going to offend people. They will let you know. Your point at that point, at that point, you are either going to let it bounce off like rubber or, you know, let it drive you crazy. And straight up, take on the honey badger as your totem animal. Every writer should be part honey badger. You should not care about what anybody else thinks and you should be having some fun with it. You know, try to avoid being racist about it and all that. Don't get me wrong. But, have some fun with it. Screw it. If somebody gets offended because you're a white person, you just, a white male, and you decide to have a black woman, screw them. Especially if you can make the character work. Straight up. I have yet to see any major complaints against Storm. Good old Aurora Monroe. Yeah. There's no way you're ever going to convince me that Chris Claremont is a black woman wearing a right mohawk. I don't care how good a debater you think you are. That is not going to happen. So just have fun with it. And remember to charge in. Just because you don't see people that match you in a particular setting doesn't mean you don't belong there. Or that you don't have a chance. Odds are, you could be exactly what they're looking for. But you're not going to impress people by not submitting your information. And definitely, if you're going to keep your portfolio hidden, yeah, you're definitely not going to get the job. You need to submit a portfolio in order to get hired. So have fun with your portfolio. But bottom line is, charge into the situation. Don't let other people hold you back, and don't let your own expectations hold you back. See, screw it. This is where I want to be. This is the most effective way of getting there. I'm going for it. And do exactly that. Don't let anybody else tell you what you can or cannot do. Well, I mean, obviously, if it's somebody, if you're breaking the law, then yeah, that obviously isn't going to fly. But generally speaking, as long as you're not breaking the law, you know, go and charge in and have some fun with it. So, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, some politically correct people take it way too far. That needs to be leavened out just a little bit. People need to start having fun writing again. So like I said, screw them. I'm part honey badger. Guess what I don't give. So have a good evening. 
Talk to you later. <laughs>